Before we start today's podcast, the Truth About Aging wish to acknowledge that this episode has been recorded on the traditional lands of the Ghana people. We pay our deepest respects to Elders past, present and emerging. We acknowledge the Ghana people as the custodians of the Adelaide region and that their cultural and heritage beliefs are still as important to the living Ghana people today. everyone and welcome to the Truth About Aging podcast. I'm your host, Kate Helmore. Each week we'll be unpacking your questions about the aged care sector, discussing how to age well, grow old and make informed decisions. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to episode 42 of the Truth About Aging podcast. I'm Kate, I'm your host and founder of the podcast, and I thought we'd kick off today with one of my favorite things, which is best thing, worst thing, and thing I'm most grateful for. So starting off, best thing would be I had a really beautiful first Mother's Day, which was a really special experience in itself. I also got to spend time with my mum, my mother-in-law, stepmom, grandma. It was a really special few days being able to celebrate that. But we also made a big point in our family of taking some time to remember family members who had passed and celebrating their lives and acknowledging how hard it can be to do Mother's Day without them as well. So if that was you this Mother's Day, please know I see you. And it's not the easiest day for everyone for many, many different reasons. Worst thing at the moment for me, oh, probably just that my own grandma's having a little bit of a, some, some health issues at the moment. And whilst I won't delve into them now, it's always hard to navigate that with your own family and hard to see them struggling too. So that's definitely top of mind for me. I'm most grateful for probably this beautiful autumn weather. I'm actually loving the cool change at the moment. I'm loving being rugged up in jumpers and being able to snuggle with my baby in the morning. It's just been really lovely to have this cool change. And actually, it would be remiss of me not to have in here too. I am grateful for my mother-in-law for looking after my daughter each week and enabling me to record these podcast episodes too, because I'm sure it wouldn't quite sound the same with a little wriggling, noisy, sometimes crying baby in the background too. (laughs) So in today's episode, we have the beautiful Tamara back on. And if you haven't listened to Tamara's last episode, I strongly encourage you to go back and listen to that too. She was back on episode 33, talking all about residential aged care placement. Tamara is a qualified social worker and runs her own business. And today we unpack all things hoarding and squalor. Even for me, there were so many things that we touched on in this episode that I didn't know were available for people in terms of support. But Tamara also just really highlighted the importance in understanding the mental illness that sits behind these behaviors and how it isn't just a matter of going in and cleaning up someone's house and being done with it. It's really approaching it gently, getting alongside of them, understanding their why, and quite possibly helping them to get some psychological support as well to work through these behaviors. I think there is a lot for everyone to learn in today's episode. I really hope you enjoy, and without further ado, we'll jump right in with Tamara. 
I thought we'll jump in first talking a little bit about hoarding and squalor. To start with, can you explain to the listeners what the difference between hoarding and squalor is? And also, I guess, what the difference is between either of those and someone that's maybe just a bit untidy or messy and maybe doesn't keep their home quite up to the standard that other people might expect? Sure, sure. So I guess there's a pretty significant difference between what we would call clutter. So somebody who's maybe a bit of a collector, they have lots of things in their home, but their home environment is still reasonably safe. And they just like to have, you know, things like doll collections, for example, on display, mm-hmm. which takes up a lot of space. And hoarding, which in of itself is a, a considered a mental illness, it's actually mm-hmm. um, diagnosable under the current DSM-5, which is the Diagnostic Manual for Mental Illness. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's actually a part of the obsessive compulsive disorder conditions. Mm-hmm. And with hoarding, it's more about a psychological attachment to objects, even though other people might think those objects are, have no value. It's when the home environment is so significantly cluttered that it's not actually accessible. So people who, who hoard will quite often have all of their spaces filled with things um, mm-hmm. to the point that even sometimes you're climbing over piles of objects to get from room to room. Yep. Items like the bathroom might be, the bathtub might be full of things. You might not be able to reach the basin. All areas in the home would pretty much be covered in in items. Yep. And those items might be things from, you know, uh, junk mail, food, clothing, all sorts of items. And quite often that person has a compulsion to purchase more things and place them in their environment, even though they actually don't need them. Mm-hmm. I know. I remember having a client once who collected rocks and there were all kinds mm-hmm. of rocks everywhere throughout yeah. the house, but they were very very special to him and had very special purposes in where they were placed around the house. I mean, this was combined with a lot of, a lot of papers and a lot of off food and things like that too, but the rocks were the real fixation. Yeah. So quite often people do have collections of things that might be special to them. Um, But when it starts to become unsafe, their environment Mm -hmm. becomes unusable. Their rooms are filled to the point where there's no safe passageway from room to room. It becomes I guess, more considered hoarding. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you've got squalor, which is not always present with hoarding, but they quite often overlap. Uh So with squalor, there's actually a a diagnostic tool that you look for and that people use when they're looking at an environment. And that would be, you know, reduced accessibility, which is goes with hoarding, Mm -hmm. um, Accumulation of waste or recyclables. So that's things like bottles and cans or food items that are spoiled that should actually be in the bin, but they're kept inside the home environment instead. Mm -hmm. Um, It could be plastic containers from takeaway, any sort of other packaging that, you know, most people would consider to be rubbish, but to that person, they like to keep it in their environment. Mm -hmm. It would be looking at you know, other surfaces actually clean is a a huge one we look for is, is there vermin mm-hmm. or any sort of infestations in the home like mice, cockroaches. Um, I had one client who had a pretty significant redback spider infestation in his oh, home. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that wasn't a safe environment at all because of that infestation. 
And we're also looking for things like odour. Is, is There's quite a strong odour from the property, which could be due to, to waste, which should be actually in the bin, which is inside the home. Yeah. Okay. And so with, I mean, there's a number of things that you've kind of identified there in terms of what that looks like. And there's a lot of risks that come to mind with that. Can you talk oh, through what some of the main risks are or what, what you'd be most concerned about for someone living in one of those situations? Yeah. So obviously when an environment has lots of things in it, there's lots of, becomes lots of tripping hazards. So trips and falls are a huge risk yeah. for people in those situations. Getting out of a property if there was an emergency like a fire mm-hmm. is something that we would look for if there's no safe egress. If you have to climb over piles and piles of things to be able to make your way in and out of the property, you're going to be at risk if you need to get out quickly, especially mm-hmm. if you're an older person who maybe uses yeah. a walker or a walking stick or maybe their mobility is not so great. And with, um, you know, if you have pets and you have, uh, there is a separate condition called pet or animal hoarding. Okay. Um, so if there's animals that are, you know, toileting inside the home and that's not being cleaned sufficiently, then that becomes a health hazard. Mm-hmm. Uh, rotting food especially is, is a real health hazard, especially when there's mould present, those sorts of things. It does become quite an environmental issue. Yeah. And I'm guessing, I mean, I know there's a lot of elderly people that live in rentals as well. So I guess you've kind of got that security of housing too if there's, some concerns around how well they're able to maintain that property and actually keep that in accommodation. Absolutely. So rental properties specifically obviously become at risk if an environment isn't safe. And even if you own a property, the council come, if they get notified of of hoarding and squalor, and that's quite often because the outside of the home is is hoarded as well, Uh um, or there's indication of multiple animals that are maybe being well looked after, they might actually come in and do a, an assessment and actually put a notice on the property that it has to be cleaned up. Uh-huh. Okay. So people can actually be at risk if they own the property as well um, because the council has a responsibility to make sure that environments are safe for their residents. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I hadn't even thought of that. I know often the yeah. rental makes sense, but, yeah, it does, I guess it is of interest to the bigger community as well. Yeah, absolutely. So there's quite a few potential risks and obviously a lot of families get quite concerned if they have a loved one that lives in an environment that is unsafe or does appear to be hoarded or squalid. Quite often the person who lives in the environment might have some insight into it and understand that it is a difficult environment but may not have the desire or ability to actually do anything about it. Mm. So if if a family was concerned about their loved one and had some concerns about hoarding or squalor, what would be the best first steps in terms of approaching those behaviours? I think reminding themselves that to be gentle when talking to the person about Mm. it because it can cause really severe anxiety for the person, the idea of having to actually discard things that they have a connection to or a, Mm -hmm. a psychological desire to keep. So it can be really, really stressful for the person if a family member decides to come in and say, we want to come and help you clean up. Yeah. Um, if, you, if the person is accepting of having some support to maybe make the environment safer, it's really, really important that the person has control over what stays and what goes from their home mm-hmm. and that you take a very, very gentle approach about it. Mm-hmm. And 
I guess as well, because I think some people probably wouldn't be aware that there are also, you know, private cleaning companies that do specialise in those kind of squalor cleans too that can work alongside the individual to help them work through clearing some things out but also doing it alongside that individual so that they are, as you said, they've got some control in that situation. Yeah, absolutely. And there's also some specialist decluttering organisations as well that um, Mm -hmm. sort of help address some of the psychological barriers to having a safe home environment um, as they go too. So they not only offer the practical support, but they also offer the psychological support, which is really necessary. Yeah, that's fantastic. So if someone, if say a family had tried to approach it with their loved one and hadn't had a great response and, you know, potentially they've said, no, there's nothing to see, everything's fine, you don't need to worry about it, and they weren't able to gently have that discussion or help do some of the tidy up, what would be some of the kind of next steps from there? If they were really concerned about their loved one's safety, what would they do? What would be the best next step? I think that if somebody meets the, the criteria for hoarding more so than clutter or and or squalor, it might be good to encourage them to get some psychological support. So that yeah. might be talking to the GP and asking them to talk about a mental health plan and referral to a psychologist. Mm-hmm. Um, because we need to bear in mind that it is a, a, a mental disorder and it is um, part of obsessive compulsive disorder. So there is definitely a psychological component that needs to be addressed if the behaviour is going to change. Mm-hmm. So it would definitely be encouraging the person to get that psychological support and just, I guess, keep speaking to the person, negotiating around, you know, what are some items that they think they would be happy to to dispose of. So. It might be that they are agreeable to maybe the rotting food mm-hmm. being taken out of the home, but nothing else to be touched. So I guess it's just keeping that open discussion with them, but in a very gentle and non-threatening way mm-hmm. and trying to keep encouraging them to do something about it. Mm. I think that's such a good point because I, I think it can be easy for families to forget that it is actually a, a mental illness that sits under this, that it's not, you know, just a people choosing to keep things and trying to be difficult that if it is a genuine diagnosed hoarding then there there is a lot more complexity around that that may need some additional assistance from a psychologist or from someone else that can really help support them through that I think sometimes it can be dismissed as just a bit of a a frustrating behavior rather than the actual complex mental disorder that it that actually is. Absolutely. And it, and it can be a real source of frustration for family and friends because they might mm-hmm. want to visit the person and they can't because they can't access the property or they can't be safely in the environment. Um, obviously, there's concern about safety for loved ones, but it, it does definitely take a gently, gently approach. There are some organisations too that do provide specific support groups for hoarding and squalor. Mm-hmm. And the main one of them is Centre Care PACE Programme. Mm-hmm. Um, and they actually have a su- small support group for people who have hoarding behaviours and they meet up and they actually do exercises and homework around, you know, identifying changes that they would be willing to make themselves. And so some people who are who are open to attending a support group might find that useful. 
That's fantastic. And I, yeah, I think it's it's worth people knowing all the different kind of options that are out there because depending on the individual, you'll kind of have a feeling for what things might work, what things they might not be up for. You know, there'll be different approaches for everyone, I assume. So it's good to know all of those different variables so that you can kind of target it best to your loved one. Absolutely. Um, And there was a program that used to run, I'm not sure if it still runs in these COVID times we're in, but it was called Mm. Buried in Treasures. Oh, yeah. A program specifically designed for people with hoarding behaviours to actually work through things. So it's a a bit of a psychoeducation course Mm -hmm. um, as well as a support course. And and that can be quite useful for some people that identify that they do need some change, but need some support around, I guess, how to do that. Wow. Yeah. I think it's one of those things that once you start to unpack it, there are, there's a lot of resources and supports out there, but it's just kind of connecting people with them and finding what's going to resonate most, but that's fantastic. Yeah, and quite often um, I guess the person might need to engage in some motivational interviewing with their psychologist or counsellor first because they might be at a stage where they're not contemplating change at all or they're pre-contemplative and they're not quite ready to to take those steps Mm -hmm. and that psychological support can encourage them to start identifying for themselves the steps that they are willing to take and um, move more towards that contemplative or action stage of, of change. Mm-hmm. which I guess for some people can be quite a journey as well while they kind of work through that. It's not something that necessarily would happen overnight for everyone, but that it could be quite a while for that to kind of settle in place. Absolutely, and it's quite long-term. And, and with any obsessive-compulsive disorder, um, there's there's definitely ongoing risk of, of um, those behaviours coming out, again, when somebody's particularly stressed or anxious or feeling unsafe. Um, some people with hoarding behaviours that actually they fill up their environment because it actually makes them feel safer to have lots of things around them. So mm-hmm. it really depends on what the motivated motivating factor is for that person for the hoarding. Mm. It makes sense, particularly when people have had some trauma or specific stresses in their life previously and that's become a, a coping mechanism. You can see how it can be challenging to unpack that and yet yeah, why it sometimes rears its head again down the track when you think it might have potentially been better or it's had periods where it's at bay. You can see why those things kind of return sometimes as well. Yeah, absolutely. And what we also need to remember is that when we're talking to our loved one about their hoarding um, or squalor, that they're going to have reasons for their behaviour that are very valid to them. And so it's really important to not be too dismissive of that because it's going to put make the person feel as though something's wrong with them or, mm. um, you know, we, we just need to be very supportive. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that covers there's a lot of information in there <laughs> um did you have anything well, it's else complex in, issue. <laughs> it's a very complex issue is there anything in particular else that you wanted to touch on in in kind of hoarding and squalor no I think it's just you know remember that there are that it is a psychological condition there does need to be that support and it is going to take time and and don't ever pressure your loved one into thinking that they need to do things straight away mm-hmm. um just be supportive just give them care let them know that you're there however they need you, um, mm. if and when they would like that support and encourage them to to get that support from a psychologist or counsellor. Yeah, that's fantastic. So well said. And I think as you've touched on so much of that, when it comes from a, a place of genuine care and concern, 
if you tread gently through those, you can get some really good outcomes for people, but that doesn't mean it's not challenging and doesn't take a long time to work through as well. Absolutely. And and look, there's never going to be somebody who's had hoarding behaviours that is going to have a showroom perfect home. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think sometimes it's changing our expectations as family members or friends about what is acceptable for us and just being happy if the person has enough room cleared that they're safe. Yeah. Yeah, that's such a good point. Moving the bar a little so that your expectations absolutely. maybe aren't quite as high. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, and just uh, safety and and um, I guess uh, being sanitary are probably at the heart of of what you want when you're helping someone with hoarding and squalor. How amazing is Tamara? She is just a wealth of knowledge, and I could sit down talking to her for hours about each of these issues. If there's something that Tamara's touched on that you'd like to explore further for yourself or for a loved one, you can get in touch with Tamara. She is at www.adelaidehillscc.com. She can also be contacted on 0414-250-665 and her email is adelaidehillscounseling at gmail.com. I will pop all of those details in the description for the episode as well so that they're there and also on the blog on our website. She can help with any kind of counseling services, aged care placement, assistance navigating home care package providers, support with housing, working through advanced care directives, and also support in preparing NDIS applications as well. So a number of different things that she can assist with. I thank her greatly for coming on the show and sharing some of that knowledge with us all. As always, if you have any additional questions for me, you can get in touch with me at www.thetruthaboutaging.com.au. You can also find me on Instagram at The Truth About Aging and on Facebook at The Truth About Aging Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. As always, you know how much I enjoy recording this for you week after week. I will chat to you again soon. Bye. Bye.